Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, friends. Today's podcast is sponsored by Spry Therapeutics. As a physical therapist, people ask me all the time, what is the best pillow to use for sleep? And I've tried a lot of them, and my favorite is Spry. This is a moldable pillow that helps to redistribute the pressure and reduce stress on the joints, which really helps you if you have neck or shoulder issues. So give it a try and use Lit Friend at the checkout for a discount for Spry Therapeutics. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by my fearless co-host, Kristen Williams, physical therapist and lit senior teacher. Welcome. Thank you, Laura. Hey, everybody. I'll dive in. All right. So our friend and fellow lit instructor, Julie Arabo O'Neill, sent us this question for the podcast. She said, my friend and yoga student has trouble weight bearing in her hips when balancing on one leg. For example, three-legged down dog or airplane. She says it feels incredibly tight to the point uh, in the hip when she tries to put weight into it. So I think what she's saying into the the hip hinge is what I'm guessing she's saying. Um, She said it's always been that way, but got worse after she had a difficult pregnancy and postpartum time. She saw a PT who just said that she has an overall very tight pelvis. We work on core strength and I have introduced her to how to lift the femur into the acetabulum and that all helps, but it is still not good. Would you discuss this? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll kind of start out. It, it started off at an, an issue anyway, and then you add pregnancy and postpartum. You know, we have to, which Julie, I'm sure is thinking about this too. When, when we're dealing with postpartum, we have to look at where is that pelvis now? Because after you carry around a baby for nine, well, the baby's probably big for the last five months of the pregnancy, You know, we get into a habit of that anteriorly tilted pelvis and the pelvis is the socket of the hip. Uh, And we have some instability that can stay with you after pregnancy. I certainly have seen it in my own case, having three children where 
I just didn't quite have that feedback. Similar to last week, we were talking about ankle, spraining an ankle. Uh, once you stretch the ligaments of the pelvis, sometimes we need to do some core work, some core strength to get that back. Now, she's saying that her PT says she has a tight pelvis, and I'm, I'm not really sure you know, from what information that came from. How can she work on that weight bearing, that, that balancing is, you know, really maybe getting some hands on. I think after you have, especially after a baby, you really lose that connection to your core, to your deep core. So having her now, obviously in three-legged dog, she can't do put her hands on anything because her hands are on the ground, but you know, in any of the single leg balance work, get the hands on the hip, get the hands on the glutes, get the hands across the transversus abdominis. Let her feel what's happening there and see if by hugging into her core a bit tighter, if she can't help stabilize the pelvis. And then obviously looking at what is happening at the pelvis positionally also in those poses. Um, Some of it's just going to be really working on it, repetition and taking it off the mat into her daily life. If she's got great pelvic posture on the mat, but then she goes off and goes right back into her old habits, the brain hasn't retrained that stable neutral. So I would be talking to her about, all right, now what are you doing off the mat? Let's talk about how you're sitting at work. Let's talk about how you're carrying the car seat. Let's talk about how are you changing the baby's diaper? I don't know how far out the baby, you know, how far we are postpartum, but what can you do throughout your day to work on this? And, you know, maybe look at the mobility of the hips too. Does, does she need a little hip joint mobility to help her weight bear better through that ball and socket joint. Those are just kind of flying off the top of my head as I'm kind of picturing this person who I've never seen her before in my mind as to why she might be having that difficulty. What are your thoughts, Laura? I totally think it's those things. And the other thing I would add that I've seen with postnatal women is that yes, their pelvis needs to get organized, But then up the chain, we have to look at the thoracopelvic cylinder. And when you're carrying a baby, you start to get more flexion in your upper lumbar spine, lower thoracic spine, because that's where you start to go out. And then that has been kind of put in your neural mapping after the baby's born. So there's a, my gut is, I've seen this before, Everything is looking pretty good, but I would, Julie, I would go up the chain and look at what's happening in her lower thoracic. I bet she's still kind of pushing that out, meaning arching there because that's where she was arching with the weight of the uterus expanding. And that's still in her brain mapping. So she, if that's happening, that's a, that's the thoracopelvic cylinder above, and that's going to actually push down into her pelvis. So that would feel like, ugh, stuck. Like what you're saying, it's hard to bear weight on that. And it's probably hard for her to get deep hip flexion because she's getting the thoracic spine kind of sinking and that sinks right down into the pelvis. So I would get her on the wall and do triple S with active hip flexion and see, can she do that maintaining her scapula and her thoracic spine? I mean, even go to below the scapula in the mid back, because I bet that is so wanting to lift away from the wall and see if she can do that and acquire some active hip flexion and train the body when she's flexing at the hips that she's not doing any of that jutting out of the rib cage. I've seen this in a lot of women and they didn't even have to have babies, right? That's just a very mobile area, but it becomes even more pulled on with that weight of the uterus going forward. 
And so organizing the pelvis, going up the chin into the thorax is super important, I have found. And getting, because again, if, if she's, even if she's lifting up in her abs, but she isn't that pressing the back ribs into the floor, like when we do our abdominals, she's not getting as deep enough into her abdominals as she needs to. So I think try all of these things and I bet it'll help her. That's great. All right. Next question. Speaking of thoracic spine, it's never just Jody. Ask, how can I correct my T4 syndrome and other never related conditions? I think she means that she's probably never had them or their related conditions to T4 syndrome. So T4 syndrome, I don't even know that's, I didn't know that was an actual term. Did you know that? I no, I didn't. I've never heard of T4 syndrome. I mean, T4 is right around nipple line. Yeah. Um, so T4 syndrome, we're going to take a stab at the dark here because I don't know what T4 syndrome is, but knowing that if you have your head in a forward position, which so many people do, you're going to have more kyphosis typically in the thoracic spine, in that upper thoracic spine, because you have increased flexion in your lower thoracic, lower cervical spine. So what tends to happen is then that T4 spine is probably at the kind of peak of that extra kyphosis. And what, what I'm assuming can happen is you can have nerve stuff. You can have disc stuff as well, because you, when you go to twist and you're ex, you know, you aren't in your neutral spine, you're going to be kind of torquing on those discs in, in a way. Did you uh, have, did you figure out what that is, what the syndrome is? Yeah, I, I was I busy this. Googling it. See, here we yes. go. There so are this, who I like there's things that are named stuff. And I bet this has never been a syndrome until tech stack started happening. <laughs> you know, but if you think about no. it, your head goes forward, your thorax has to kind of go back to support it. And then you're sitting at a desk yeah. all day like that. You're, that T4 ish area gets stuck like that. It just doesn't. Well, and that's right down to where those suboccipitals, they go right down there. So they're just hanging on for dear life. Hanging on. They're probably, they're, yeah. they're in a chronic state of being pulled on and they're mad. Yep. yep. <laughs> and that, it's, that's exactly what it is. So it's a complex autonomic sympathetic dysregulation with its origin of the upper thoracic spine. So people have the headache, the paresthesias, and it's it's kind of like a combo, I would say. It sounds like a combination of thoracic outlet with headaches. And I think it's 100% stab in the dark was probably pretty on point with when we think about those suboccipitals, we get the headache when the suboccipitals get tight from that forward head. And those come down right around to the T4 area. Those splenius capitis, splenius, they come down. And so a lot of times when we work that posture, that suboccipital kind of drawing back, people will feel it all the way down at T4. So it's not uncommon to have a combination of those two together where T4 just gets the crap beat out of it, like, you know, that area. So now it's got a syndrome yeah. because that's where people feel the symptoms. So yeah, you know, this is something, bring it back to posture, bring it back to alignment, um, and it's not just something, again, you have to think about this throughout your day and, you know, carrying it, um, you know, really looking, I don't know what, what her job description is, but, you know, look at how your computer station set up at work. Ask your parents, ask your boyfriend, ask your husband, Hey, what do you notice about how I sit? And a lot might be revealed in that because we all have little idiosyncrasies and it might be that 
you've developed this dysregulation at the T4 area because of that increased demand that really your thoracic spine isn't set up for that. You know, the thoracic spine, its main role is to support the rib cage to, you know, protect our inner organs. And we really put this crazy mechanical demand on it with poor posture. Uh, and T4 just happens to be that area because especially females, the breasts, there's a lot of weight going through that upper thoracic spine. So, I mean, I'm given thoracic mobility work for a lot of people for various reasons. So that's where I would, I would take it. I agree. And, you know, I was even like driving the car with my daughter today and I had to bite my tongue because this is what we have to do as PT mamas and not like all the time. <laughs> But she was driving with her head forward, you know, kind of like my mom does. And I wanted to be yeah. like, Olivia, put your skull back on your car seat. Like, take it into everything you do, because I know these kids are spending so much time on technology. And then, you know, that I'm just watching her drive. And she's got relatively good posture, you know, but it's it's being really challenged with the daily requirements of her life of, you know, going into, going to college and all the other things. But I think that posture is huge. I mean, as, as Kristen was saying, like the stuff in the back of our neck, we could even say like that is actually charged up to, to stabilize the skull in a protruded position to a degree. Like the nuchal ligament is super thick. The fascia surrounding it's super thick. It's there because, you know, that first little like going forward, it's like, a, you know, I always say the TV going over the windowsill, it's easiest to catch at that highest point. And so there's a lot of thickened tissue right there. But then the TV keeps going and it's going down into that T4, down into that T3, down. And that is not equipped. And that's where you're going to really strain it. So when you have strain, when you have inflammation, your body has so many tools to to let you know that it's not acceptable, right? And one of them is to kind of go into this scattered, unclear, like dysfunctional pain reflexology. So it's gonna give you a lot, like overload you with pain signals because it's like, you aren't paying attention, now I'm gonna hammer you, you know? So look at it more like, this is not for life, this is not you know, permanent, but you have to remap stuff so you're, your body can start to actually feel secure in that you're going to do what it's telling you to do, which is get upright and pay attention and have better mechanics and all those things. So don't be scared by it, even though I know it's probably you know not enjoyable, but you do need to do something about it. You do need to work on your posture. You do need to work on core strengthening and you know go see somebody who knows a lot about this and is looking at it globally who's not going to just come in and do some work at T4 it's that's that's the victim it's not the problem the problem is um, most likely above and even below at the pelvis so we could say a lot more about that but go take care of that i think that was good all right so uh, we got one from our friend Suze, who is in our teacher training right now. She's fabulous. So she says, hi, Kristen. I've always had really good foot and toe mobility and strength. For as long as I can remember, I have used my toes to pick all sorts of things up off the ground. It's so natural to me that I don't even notice I'm doing it unless someone points it out. So she goes on to talk about, you know, how she just likes to fan the toes. She's always just worked a lot with her toes. 
and her ankles. And so she says, my boyfriend, however, has very little mobility or control of his toes. All he can really do is curl them towards the sole of his foot, flex them back towards his face and spread them apart a little bit. My take on this is that the neural pathways to these muscles in my feet and the strength of those muscles is more developed because I've been moving my toes and feet this way for practically my entire life. And then if he were to spend enough time moving and strengthening the muscles that move his toes, he could set his toes free as well. He, however, is convinced that I was born with, I love this, gifted and talented toes and that he would not be able to cultivate them for the same type of articulation that seems to come so naturally to me. I would love to hear your and Lara's thoughts on this. She does say, P.S., his second and third toes on both feet are partially webbed. Oh, so what okay. do you think about that? Yeah, so. Well, I would say that, yes, she's correct in a lot of ways, that it is possible this is, the foot is very is known to be adaptable. It's highly mobile, but also rigid because it needs that rigidity transfer weight into the arches, the three different arches to be able to take it up into the limbs. And we do, of course, want nice toe mobility in that big toe and the ability to spread our toes. But when you put, when you stuff them in shoes over the years, the toes become stiff and the ability to spread them and to move them in all kinds of articulate them in all kinds of ways is more limited. So the answer is, yeah, you can work on it. I mean, we've seen that with people who have lost the ability to use their hands anymore. They can use their feet. They become, they can feed themselves. I mean, it's, they become somewhat like our, you know, non-human primate ancestors um, or relatives. And it's incredible to watch. You see people painting with their feet. It takes a lot to develop that, that kind of sophisticated strength and mobility and then the adaptability, the neural part. So it sounds like Sue's early on was already ahead of the game. She was playing with her, you know, playing with thing, picking up. I had a friend who did that, who was always picking up things with his toes and it was really fun. So I think people who have done that are, you know, already ahead of the curve, but her, her boyfriend could totally work on it for sure. Like picking up things with his feet, start with something really large, like a towel, you know, then you get into like marbles and more dexterity, spreading his toes, working on that. It's just all a matter of how much does he want to commit to this? How much does he want to like make his feet more adaptable? But for him, I would say don't have the mindset that you could never get somewhere close to being Sue's. It's just, do you really want that? And would you put in the work that's needed? Because it's like they've kind of been in slumber and you have to awaken and that awakening is not only getting the muscle strong and that dexterity, but it's getting that neural, those neural pathways so that there's that quicker responsiveness. That's my take on it. And of course, there's tons of proprioceptors in your feet too. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Um, he could absolutely restore a good amount of mobility. Now his webbing is going to play a role, um, you know, limiting him somewhat. Um, but if you don't use it, you lose it. So, but he has to care. My take would be maybe educating him on the importance of foot mobility, you know, why it's important. As a physical therapist, I, I have seen how our feet tend to age and they lose mobility and how that affects balance, which affects gait, which affects a lot of sensory feedback to the brain. I believe it can even affect how our brain needs to work. So maybe kind of taking that back door and that side door entrance to that, yeah, he doesn't need to be picking stuff up, but 
maybe getting out of shoes, working on some foot mobility that way, getting on unstable surfaces, walking through the grass, mm, just that natural right. without shoes. Yeah. So it's, and why that's important, how hugely important foot mobility is with our gait pattern. And as we get older, so maybe it'll help him to care more because it's not about needing to have gifted and talented feet. Uh, and, and he will probably never have your mobility. I just have naturally super mobile toes. I know I do. Uh, I look around the room in my stretch class when I do a plantar fascia and it's, it's 50, 50 people just really don't have great toe mobility. And could it be because they don't use their toes or could it be just hereditary? I don't know, but we can work, but it takes work. So maybe if we can help your boyfriend to care a little more, then he'll want to work. You get him some correct toes, you know, things like that, where he's doing some passive. It's a little less work, but more mobility. See if that won't, won't work with him. Because I agree with you, Suze, you're right. The neural pathways are more developed and you are stronger because you're using them. Uh, and it's the furthest. We were just talking in a, our last call or even just an earlier question about how far away the foot is from the brain. Uh, it's got the longest road to travel. So um, it's kind of takes some time and some work and effort, but maybe if we help him to care a little more, he will want to work towards it too. Yeah. And I think the key is to make it fun. Like you said, get out in the grass, do some like bouncing exercises, because again, that is great for the adaptability of the foot, the adaptability of the plantar fascia leading up into the fascia of the posterior chain going into those bigger movement patterns, like doing some like monkey walking or bear walking and things like that, where you're getting your hands and your feet involved. That's going to stimulate a lot of activity in the brain, but it's fun too. So it's like, might be a lot more fun than to sit around and spread your toes, but put it into some really great action because we do, like Kristen said, I mean, I've seen numerous older adults over the years who kind of shuffle around and they just don't have any articulation in the foot. And that affects their ankle, that affects their knee, that affects their hip, their spine. It, and then of course it affects their balance, all of it. It's And then none of that is, is going to have a good outcome because they're more likely to fall, um, less likely to do activities that require some balance and any kind of coordination. And, and so it becomes a spiral. You don't want to head to that, but I think uh, make it functional, make it fun. That's what we're always going after. Okay. So question divinely human vertigo and yoga up and down triggers vertigo, cat, cow, forward fold, down dog, child's pose. Any suggestions? You know, vertigo is a tough one. You know, when we're talking about, so vertigo is usually it's positional. We call it, a lot of times it's called BPPV, benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. And so when the, the head goes down or changes positions, the inner ear, you have these little crystals in there that can get a little screwed up for lack of a better term, the non-medical term. And, and so that's sending the wrong message to your brain of where you are in space and things begin to spin. And it is debilitating. However, it's so treatable. So for people who are struggling with vertigo, you need to find a vertigo specialist. I mean, people, now this is something that you can literally do just a few treatments and get those crystals realigned in the canals, in the ear canalists that then sends the correct message to your brain where you are in space. Now, does that mean you can go hop back on your mat and drop, you know, drop back down and come back up again? No, you're going to have to ease back into it. But 
positional vertigo especially is very treatable. You go see a specialist, it will change your life. And then you can get back onto your mat because there's no reason to live with vertigo if you don't have to. If there isn't some underlying, say, neurological or reason for your vertigo that isn't inner ear related, um, it is so treatable, people. So please talk to your friend or if it's you and encourage them to find a, a physical therapist, do it. You know, we get extra training and there's all sorts of cool gadgets that, I mean, I have patients who I will spend, who I will send to specialists and they are forever grateful. I was like, I can help you, but I'm not really a specialist. Go see this person. They're like, bing, bang, boom, I'm back. So it is so treatable and it can be, uh, unfortunately, yoga is one of those things. If you have vertigo, it is so hard to do yoga because of all of our Down position change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, oh, I totally agree. I've had so many people with vertigo and they, they, you know, in a number of treatments, if not one are recalibrated. Now, if it's vertigo, I also have had uh, clients with vertigo due to a brain injury, which is going to be less likely, but even like, say you had a number of concussions and you don't have like visible brain injury, you know, issues that some people might have that could be uh, a residual effect. And, and maybe the, um, working on the inner ear crystals is not going to be the answer. What I have found that has been helpful might not be helpful for you, but it has been helpful for a number of people is actually having a visual dot, not only on the mat, but like in front of you on the wall, just some kind of like, so when you come up and you're having that vertigo, being near a wall is helpful, but also to have like visual connection to a point of contact. So we would buy these kind of big stickers and put them on the wall. Like a white wall was actually the worst thing possible for somebody with vertigo because there's no, the eyes and the ear, all the inner stuff has no kind of way to calibrate. So that could be something you could try when you experience it on your mat. Like if you're in cat cow, like have sticker, uh, there might already be some kind of emblem on your mat, but you could put something that you look at that will help your, the vision. And then therefore that might help the vertigo because the brain being injured, usually in the frontal lobe, that impact, whether it's concussion or some other kind of brain injury can kind of mess up with this sensorial processing a vision, which can lead to vertigo. And this could, this is a way of helping it. It might not totally go away with some people. It really helped some people. It helped a, you know, a good amount, but it's, they still felt it. So those are the, those are the recommendations, but more often than not, it positional vertigo is related to, like you said, the, the inner, some inner ear issue can happen after having a virus. It could happen. We don't even know, like, some people just wake up and it's like, they don't even know what ha- what they did. And it just, those crystals were shifted around. So that is, that is super treatable. So that's the good answer. All yes. right. As always, these were, these were fun questions. We love answering your questions. Make sure that you send them to us either on Instagram message. You can find me, Laura.Hyman, Kristen, KB Williams, 99. Don't be shy. Direct message us. We, we uh, store these answers in our in our Q&A um, column and we come into them. So we, we'd love to, to address your specific um, questions. So as always, thank you, my dear. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everyone. We are pulling for you. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.